Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode number 454 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. I am Donald Wine, your host for this episode. It is Saturday, November 5th, 2022, and I don't know if you hear it. I don't know if you hear that sound. That sound is a bunch of pins dropping. You know what that means? Guys, we are going bowling. Bowling. Bowling, yes, sir. Uh, we are going to talk about that. Obviously, we are going to also talk about the start of the basketball season. The John Shire era begins on Monday. But first, let me bring in my co-host, Jason Evans and Sam Klein. Jason, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing great, man. It was uh, it was very enjoyable last night watching, watching the Blue Devils. It, it was a game where like, you felt a little bit of tension. Like, you, you had to still pay attention, but you didn't get nervous. I like that. Right, right. Yeah, that's that's always the, the keep it out of, you know – out of arm's reach. Uh, and and uh, Sam, how are you doing this morning? You were at the game. We'll talk about that later, but tell us how you feeling. Well, I don't feel great. Uh, I, I celebrated a little bit too hard last night. Got to be with a lot of other Duke football fans. I uh, took a selfie with Dean Sue. She was at the game. So uh, yeah, pretty, uh, pretty awesome time last night. We'll talk about that. And, and as we Donald transition to talking about basketball, I need to tell you guys, there will be a few moments like this this year where it'll feel like, oh, things are different at Duke this year. Uh, I just had one of those moments about five minutes ago. I pulled up uh, KenPom.com. I navigated over to the Duke page, and it says, if you have a KenPom uh, subscription like we have, it says the name of the team, says their their nickname and where they're from, and the name of their head coach. And we've been looking at these pages for years, and it always says head coach Mike Krzyzewski. And I just pulled it up, and I was struck when it said head coach John Shire. So weird. Wait, what? I'm, Breaking news. I'm right. still I'm still getting used to this. <laughs> they didn't this tell is us. Crazy. This Shire? is crazy. When did this happen? So yeah, so Duke, so Duke this year has a new head coach. Very recent. Very recent. Crazy. We need Breaking to cover news. that. We should do a podcast about that. Breaking we'll news one. right here on the DVR podcast. But guys, you know what? Let's <laughs> let's just get into it. All right. So the first game of the John Shire era begins on Monday night in Cameron Indoor Stadium. Uh, Duke will take on the Jacksonville Dolphins. And already it feels bad trying to play a team whose whose mascot is a dolphin. We love dolphins, but not on Monday night. Uh, so unfortunately, these dolphins are going to have to suffer the wrath of the Duke Blue Devils. They were 21 and 10 last season in the Atlantic Sun. They finished second in the East division to Liberty. And this year they have some games obviously against Duke, but also against Notre Dame, VCU, UAB and Dunk City themselves, Florida Gulf coast, Liberty being the team to beat in the Atlantic sun. Jacksonville will play them at home this season. So of course it's the first game of the season. Normally we have stuff about, uh, you know, Ken Palm rankings and, and stuff like that. We do have some of those stats. So Jason, I'll give it to you first. Tell us what we can expect from the Jacksonville Dolphins. So in terms of where they are ranked, um, and obviously preseason rankings are, you know, a guess based on last year and the such, but they're, they're generally considered like a top 150 kind of team. This, I want to be clear, this won't be a super easy contest for Duke. I think, you know, as you said, Liberty's the the pick in the Atlantic Sun, but Jacksonville is is really the, the team that most people think will be second best in that league. And it would not be shocking or surprising if Jacksonville were to find their way into the NCAA tournament at the end of the year, this is sort of like a 215-314 kind of game in the NCAA tournament. And look, number two seeds, number three seeds lose those games all the time. Uh, th this is, again, this this will not be your typical really easy, um, you know, starting, starting of the season game for the Blue Devils. Jacksonville is going to play slow. They had one of the slowest tempos in all of Division I last year. 
And obviously, you know, they can play slow on offense, but the real question, the real key is how much will they slow Duke down when they are playing defense and Duke is playing offense? John Shire has repeatedly said he wants this Duke team to play fast. He wants them to push the pace. Jacksonville is going to resist that as much as they as much as they can. And it it wasn't just last year that they ran the shot clock down for themselves to play slow. They played slow by being a good defensive team that made the opponent work to get the shot that they wanted. And for a young Duke team playing against a super experienced Jacksonville team, all their players, pretty much everyone who plays this game for Jacksonville is going to be a junior or a senior. A lot of them fourth-year juniors and fifth-year seniors. Um, they, they are guys who, who know how to force you to do what you don't want to do. I'm going to tell you a little bit about their uh, about their players just very quickly. Um, fifth year season senior um, Kevion Nolan is uh, is their best player. He was first team All Conference in the Atlantic Sun last year. He'll contend for Atlantic Sun Player of the Year this season. Everything runs through him. He led their team in scoring. He was their leading assist guy a year ago. His backcourt mate. This is their strength. Um, in addition to Nolan, they have a guy named Jordan Davis playing shooting guard, and and those are probably their two best players. They're, they're a good rebounding team, though. Unlike a lot of smaller schools that Duke plays, they have decent size. They've got a, a 6'10 player, Mike Marsh, in the middle. They've got 6'7", 6'8", Bryce Workman, and Osai Osifo um, as their forwards. And those three guys really rebound very well. Um, uh, Jacksonville was a top 30 team last year in both offensive and defensive, defensive rebounding. So yeah, that's going to be a, a real test for Duke's young big men. The other thing I wanted to mention about them is whenever these smaller teams come in to Cameron, their best chance you generally think is for them to bomb away from three. And that's just not what Jacksonville is. They're not a team that takes a lot of three pointers. They're among the bottom 40 or so teams in the country last year at taking threes. They hit them at about a 34% rate, which is okay, but not great. This is, But this is not a team that likes to shoot a lot of three-pointers or looks for the three-pointer. But speaking of threes, they're really great at defending it. Their opponents hit less than 30% of their threes last season, 14th best in all of Division One, And they just didn't give up many three-pointers. Like their ratio of three, you know, opponent ratio of three-pointers made to field goals made was like one of the 20 best in the country last year. So uh, this is a Jacksonville team, again, Compared to Duke, they are going to want to slow us down. They're not going to let us shoot three-pointers. That's the two things they're best at. And what Duke wants to do, what Duke is best at, is playing fast and shooting threes. So it's going to be a great contrast of styles. Last thing, Ken Pomeroy says, predicts that Duke wins this game 80-61. to 61. Bart Torvik predicts Duke wins it 82-66. to 66. Both of them expect a, a margin in the teens. If you're a Duke fan that thinks, oh, we're playing a, a smaller school and we're going to run them out of the gym by 30 plus points, I'm just telling you that the experts, the computers, the models say that's not going to be the case. This may be a competitive game much more than Duke fans are are prepared for. Yeah, and Jason, you know, when it comes to this game, if, if you think about it, there was a reason why this game was scheduled as the very first game of the season. It's not like we threw a bunch of non-conference teams in a random generator and said, okay, Jacksonville, you're, we're playing you first. They specifically went out and scheduled Jacksonville to be the first game because of some of these things that you're talking about, defensive rebounding, the ability to, you know, kind of make an opponent um, 
just kind of work to get their shot. And these are kind of things that we're going to need to see our guys execute throughout the season. So why not start in game one? Sam, I want to go to you because we've taken a look at what Jacksonville is going to do. Let's talk about what we can expect from the Duke Blue Devils. And obviously, uh, Lively is the is the question here. They say that he probably will play. He's going to be a full participant in practice this weekend, so we'll see if there are any setbacks there. But from all intents and purposes, we expect him to appear in this game, maybe not start, but at least appear. But what is the look going to be for Duke, given that Lively would be a starter? Dariq Whitehead, who is still going to be out, will not be playing in this game. So we're still down these two starters. What look do you look do you expect to see on Monday night? Well, a great opportunity for Derek Lively to come back and show off some defense if there's going to be a lot of this game uh, played in the interior uh, and a real difference maker for Duke if Lively is able to be himself on offense or the version of himself that we expect him to be, being able to step out, to step out take some shots, uh, maybe stretch the Jacksonville defense a little bit. So uh, the the thing I'm going to be most excited to see is is how Derek Lively performs if he plays and if he you know plays any real minutes. I anticipate that Ryan Young is still likely going to get the bulk of the minutes at center, which should be a, a fascinating matchup um, given what Jason was highlighting about the size. And then I want to see Duke on the perimeter take advantage of the fact that Jacksonville is a little bit slower. Uh, guys like Jacob Grandison, Tyrese Proctor, uh, and maybe even Jeremy Roach to some extent should be able to shake defenders and and either make shots or or make uh, plays on offense uh, initiated from the from the perimeter. Jason, one of the interesting things that I note about Jacksonville is that it's it's been a couple of years since they played a like really good Division One team. Last year they didn't play a single opponent uh, whose Ken Palm rating was was better than a hundred. The best team they played last year was UCF. And, uh, and, and not, not for lack of, of trying to schedule, they, they scheduled three power five, uh, opponents last year between Minnesota, Georgia, and Pittsburgh. It's just that those teams all happened Ooh, to be those bad. Those teams were bad last year. <laughs> yeah. Georgia. I didn't realize Georgia was, was worse than 200th in the country. Uh, they were all really bad. <laughs> damn. That's, uh, that's horrible. Uh, and, and the year before Jacksonville also played Georgia, uh, when they were a mere 95th. Uh, in the country, and uh, they they lost them by thirty points. So, the the one thing I think you know, Jason was talking about how uh, th- this team's going to grind it, maybe keep it close. Jacksonville does not. None of these guys, uh, unless there are transfers in here that that have played for teams with more profile. Uh, generally speaking, this program does not have a ton of experience playing under any kind of bright lights, and so that hopefully is helpful for Duke. That being said. Think about how many of the Duke players are uh, either new to college basketball or new to, you know, top tier. You know, we have we have a couple guys transferring in from the Ivy League. Certainly, uh, Ryan Young and Jacob Grandison, who have transferred in, are are used to the big lights. They've played in the Big Ten, which has been a better conference than the ACC the last few years. But all the freshmen um, transfers that are coming from Ivies, like these guys are not used to, uh, to, to, to the to the glitz and glamour, I suppose, of of playing at Duke. So I wonder well, if any of them get scared by that moment, but I'll, I'll tell you, I, my bet is that Derek lively and, and some of the other guys who are, you know, high profile recruits have played in more national television games in high school <laughs> than these Jacksonville oh, yeah. guys have. Yeah. There's a in in little question yeah. to that. Yeah. So, so that, that, that's going to be an interesting thing to watch. I, I really, Oh, I'm, 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 I'm so anxiously awaiting 
the news that Duke is going to be at full strength at some point this fall or into the winter because adding back Lively this weekend, I think, is going to add a whole new element to the team that we haven't seen yet between the exhibition game and the uh, and, and countdown to craziness and, and some of the some of the footage. And then adding Whitehead will will be even more of that. We've talked, I think, a lot about how much of an impact, you know, Mark Mitchell has had early here in the preseason, how much impact Jacob Grandison has had. Those guys kind of move to the side when when Whitehead returns because uh, he is supposed to be that good. So I am uh, I am I am sad that we don't get to see him here. I'm hoping that we get to see him very soon. And I think the last thing for me is uh, unlively when he does check into the game. And again, we expect that he will at least appear in this game when he does. Fingers crossed, man. Fingers, fingers crossed. There's uh, been no official announcement. Correct. Correct. But if he does play, I'll, I'll change it. To if if he plays on Monday. Uh, I want to see him play within himself because the first it's going to be the first game for him playing in Cameron Indoor Stadium. And it, it, as we all know, like that energy is going to be ratcheted up quite a bit. It's also especially uh, high when you are playing in your first game. You're, you feel like you want to jump up and, and, and touch the retired banners on the way down to dunk a ball. I just hope he can play within himself, live and you know, enjoy that moment, obviously, but live within himself and make it where we go. Hey, we, we don't need to you know, get everything out in game one. It's a long season. Let's ease him back in. And, and hopefully he does well if he does appear. Hey guys. Okay. So over under Derek lively minutes in this game, I'm going to set it at 14. Under. Oh, I was, I was going to guess eight to 10 uh, before you, before you, yeah, set I was going to say 10. So I'm going to, I'm going to take under 14 uh, and that, and that, Ooh, I wonder, does he get more minutes if the game is close or if the game is out of hand? Because there's there's almost something to be said for get him as easy minutes as as you possibly can, and if the game is close, does Ryan Young just stay out there? Uh, you know, if if Duke is only up by eight or ten points, you know, going into the middle of the second half, I, I agree with that. I'll, uh, by the way, I also would have taken the under on fourteen. I think ten's probably a lot closer if he plays. And uh, the other wrinkle here is Sam. I I think. I don't think you're going to see, you know, if, if Lively plays 10, I don't think you're going to see Ryan Young play 30 minutes. I think you'll see Kyle Filipowski playing a good bit of center. And I think it's possible you may see Duke employ the quote unquote death lineup with Mark Mitchell as the biggest guy on the floor. I, you you may see that. Could also be an opportunity to see Kale Ketchings in, in a few minutes, given that uh, he's got he's got a, a bit of a reputation for for muscling guys around inside undersized, certainly for that. But uh, it could be an opportunity for him. I, I mean, we haven't seen him at all. We didn't. We barely saw him in the uh, yeah. in, in the yeah. one preseason game. So, so I think he's eleventh in the rotation. It's that's that's pretty deep now. Yeah. So, uh, so, so we'll see how all that develops. You know what though about this rotation? I, I, I don't think it's anywhere close to being set. And I, I think John Shire is going to take right. his time. So. I think is yeah, we're entering a new season, new coach, new coaching staff, new players. We're going to see a lot of new things on Monday night. Again, 7 p.m. Eastern time. Let's take a break. On the other side, Duke football goes up to Boston College, and they come back playing a new sport. That sport is bowling. We'll talk about it after this. All right, gentlemen, we are back and we switch to the gridiron where, yes, 
finally, Duke is back in a bowl game. They go up to Boston College, Chestnut Hill on Friday night, a Friday night game, which is rare for Duke folks. Uh, but they go up to Boston College and they beat Boston College 38 to 31. They are now six and three, three and two in the Coastal Division, and they are now going bowling in Mike, uh, Mike Elko's first season as head coach of Duke. Sam, you're tired from last night's game because you were there. So I'm going to hand it to you. Tell us what it was like in the stands. I want to, I want you to start. I, I'm going to lead you with this. Riley Leonard, true, true American hero. Donald, absolutely about Riley Leonard. I don't know if this was his best game in a Duke uniform. Uh, 16 for 24, 458 yards through a, through a touchdown did not have any picks, but really kept it together, especially late in the game. I think the way that Jason put it uh, at the at the top of the show today was that, you know, it, it wasn't it wasn't a blowout, but it didn't feel to me, at least being there, it didn't feel like it got that close for Boston College. I, I think they they kept flirting with with getting within one possession of Duke and and, and the game did end up uh, being a one possession game, but it never felt like Duke was going to give up that lead. Riley Leonard was able to uh, for fifteen seconds. How, how long it was one position game for like fifteen seconds or something like yeah. that. Yeah, Not even. so <laughs> it was uh, it, right. And and you know what's funny is that this morning I went on the uh, on the DBR forum and I was reviewing the game thread from last night. And uh, man, people were really nervous that Duke was going to blow this game. Dude, I'm uh, I'm with you. I, I I don't know why. Like we had a lead throughout the entire second half. Um, like we said, multiple possession lead in the fourth quarter. I was so nervous. I, I have no idea why, because realistically, like I, I checked out ESPN's, you know, um, uh, their like odds thing. tracker. Yeah, they're right. They, yeah. The, uh, they, they, they're going to win the game. Um, at no point in the entire game was Duke less than a 73% chance to win. And that, that was, we, we were 73% when it was seven, seven in the first quarter. Um, in the entire second half, we were above 90% to win. The, enti- the entire fourth quarter, we were above like 95% to win. Why was I nervous? I don't understand it. No, I, I understand nervous. it. I understand it because we are Duke football fans. And we've seen several, several, several seasons yep. of this TV show. And we've seen where that has happened. So even, I mean, even if we knew it wasn't going to be a possibility or that this team could come back and beat us, it still feels like in your mind because it's something that we've experienced in years past. And it's just something we're just going to take. It's going to take a while for us to kind of get rid of that feeling. But having games where we do hold on for victory is definitely something that you what will help ease those tensions next time. And this was really a, a game of, of field position is, is where Duke kept uh, Boston College at bay. There were it was a amazing. New, yeah, there were there were there were a number of drives where Boston College was punting like from the ten or even from their own end zone. So Duke was routinely getting the ball like at the fifty or at their at their forty or so. So the drives didn't have to be as long. Uh, I don't think that Duke's offense this season has been you know amazing at at creating eighty yard drives, but they can create forty or fifty yard drives, and so that that was really the difference. No turnovers in this game either. I, I think one of the most incredible things about Duke this season has been its ability to force turnovers, whether that's punching balls out against Miami or, or getting picks or, or what have you. But uh, none of that yesterday, Duke held onto the ball and they didn't get, and they didn't pop the ball out from Boston college, but they were, as I said, able to, to create, um, to, to create good field position by holding them early in drives. And that really was like most of the difference. 
So, Jason, I want you to tell me what you saw. I know you like some things on offense and defense. I like the defense personally. Um, you know, again, five sacks and a couple of guys with, with some high tackle numbers like Shaka Hayward. But I know the gr- ground game was also great, of course, led by Riley Leonard. But other guys really showed up, too, didn't they? Oh, yeah. You know, th- th- we've figured out now the profile of this Duke team. We overwhelm teams on the ground. I mean, Duke got 232 yards on 41 carries. That's a 5.7 yard per yards per rush carry yards per rush average for Duke. That's that's just a big, big number. And Waters, Moore and Leonard just seemed to rip off whatever they needed again and again and again. BC struggled to stop Duke from getting, you know, six, seven yards. We were looking at, you know, second and two, second and three, maybe second and four all game long. It just makes it so much easier when you're doing that. And then on the other side of the ball, BC struggled to get like even two yards per carry most of the time. And so they were constantly in second and long, you know, second and eight, second and nine. Um, And and I thought our defense, in addition to that run defense that was so strong, they, they, look, BC scored 31 points, but I thought the defense played outstanding. Uh, BC scored those points because full credit, the BC receivers, man, they made some really tough catches on long passes, long passes. The 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 play-by-play guy, the the color commentator, the ESPN guys were praising the the BC quarterback. I was like, he's just tossing the ball up there, and those receivers are making great plays. Um, so I, you know, I I thought for our defense to hold them the way they were making plays was a really big deal, and and it was there are two huge plays that deserve full credit. Shaka Hayward and Darius Joyner each had sacks on third and fourth down in the fourth quarter that ended drives for BC play, you know, drives where, you know, if you were going to get nervous, if you're going to get irrationally nervous, and if it was going to move over from irrational to rationally nervous, those were the drives where that would have happened. And Shaka Hayward and Darius Joyner both said, "Uh, uh-uh, Nope. I'm going to get a sack. That's going to end this drive and keep it from being anything but a very comfortable game for Duke. And I also want to shout out Dwayne Carter, who was all over the quarterback all day long. He had two, he had uh, two sacks. Um, Dwayne Carter, I thought was outstanding in this game. Uh, and, and look, all these guys are part of the run defense that, that was the difference maker for Duke that BC just couldn't get anything on the ground. So I always look at some stats for, you know, for sake of how the game went between the trenches. And if you look at Duke, a lot of the guys who are leading in tackles are defensive ends and linebackers who like to like to rush the quarterback or rush to, to fill the gaps. For Boston College, one of their leading tacklers was a safety. Why? Because we're getting past that line, and the first person who's tackling him, who has a chance to tackle him, is either a linebacker that's, that's dropped back in the coverage or a safety. So that means that guys were getting through the line, and I really appreciate the line. And shout out to the offensive line as well, because they were pushing people all over the place and creating a lot of holes for our guys to make great runs. Hey, speaking of runs, my favorite play by Riley Leonard this entire game. It was a play where he didn't touch the ball other than handing it off. He hands the ball off. I'm not sure if it was if it was Jordan Moore or 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 Waters. God, I I forget I forget which one he handed it off to. I'm I'm just remembering the play now. Uh it was a it was like a third and two. And it was like in the first five minutes or so of the fourth quarter. And it was a point where you sort of, you know, Duke needs to let's get another first down here. Let's run some more clock. And the running back was stopped like basically at the line of scrimmage and wasn't going to get the first down. Uh, and the BC guy was kind of holding him up. And Riley Leonard, 
our quarterback runs in there and just slams into the pile and pushed the running the duke running back forward so that he got the first down i was like what quarterback does that i loved it that was my favorite riley leonard play of the entire game and it led to victory. And because of that, we are bowl eligible. Bowl tickets are on sale. You can get deposits. We obviously don't know yet where we will play, but we will be playing December football. So Duke fans, look out for that. And if you look at the list of potential cities, it's an incredible uh, amalgam of play. There's like there's a few uh, ACC bowl tie-ins that are in the Northeast, Boston, New York, Annapolis, uh, a bunch in the Southeast, but then also a lot uh, out West. Um, so th- there's a lot of different places that, that Duke could be going and let's just hope that we don't have to go to El Paso again. I mean, there's been a lot of people saying we're going to the Duke's Mayo bowl, which is in Charlotte, which obviously would make some regional sense. And we've been to that bowl before when it was the Belk bowl. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of possibilities and now we get to follow them because now we know that we're going to one of these bowls. So we will keep it there. And we'll- I am much more I am much more in favor of, uh, even though the weather will be terrible, I'd rather do play in Boston or New York because those will be the easier games for me to get for to. For you to go to, yeah, but, exactly. Uh, but uh, I know that probably no one is excited about going to a ball game at Yankee Stadium in, in late December. So Shout, uh, shout we'll- out to Military Bowl. Uh, <laughs> we and, and yeah, that, that, <laughs> we, that, that, that could happen too, right? Because that's, so. uh, that's the one in Annapolis. So Yep, yep. So that's also possibly still... Ladies and gentlemen, get ready for that, but also get ready for a lot of content to come from us in the next few days. Of course, after this, we're, we're posting this on Saturday. On Sunday, expect the stats game to be released. Uh, yes, we are going to record the stats game. You cannot miss that, so look out for that in your feeds. And then later on this week, obviously after uh, the basketball game on Monday night, but before the USC Upstate game on Friday, expect to hear the interview that Jason did a couple of days ago with Kara Lawson. We we obviously want to get that out to you as quickly as we can, but we're going to make sure we fit it in with everything that's going on. So until then, for Jason Evans and for Sam Klein, I am Donald Wine. This is episode 454 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. We will check you out very soon. Duke Band, take us home. I think, what is that, Jason? Oh, white Oreos? Golden Oreos. What What do they taste like? They're very golden. Vanilla-y. I love yeah, them. They're, they're really good. They're actually really good. White Oreos. They're golden, not white. Golden whatever they've i've seen i mean they have like you know 45 different flavors of oreos i've had like 43 of them the the elite one is the uh the the java chip the cinnamon bun one oh really yeah i haven't had cinnamon good. bun wow, the java chip good. one the java chip one is wild though it's basically a golden oreo with some cinnamon cream in the middle Pfft, man it's uh, see i don't it's I, I i i don't like that profile i'm not into that Give me cho- i want ch- i want chocolate well, they have chocolate, chocolate too. They have those. I know, too. but I just want I just want chocolate. I don't, I don't s'mores. They have s'mores. I don't know, if gentlemen. I have I have two absolute maxims in life regarding food. One yes. is cinnamon makes anything better. <laughs> so does bacon. That's good. Yes, yes. The other is there's nothing with nuts that isn't just as good without nuts. Wait, sorry. Say say that again. There were a lot of negatives in that statement. Say it again. There's nothing with nuts. That isn't just as good without nuts. Like nuts are nuts, nuts are relevant. Nuts add I don't nothing. like I don't like I, I like peanut I like okay I like peanut butter obviously but 
I mean, oh, I, love I think you're wrong. I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. Uh, you can eat pad thai without crushed peanuts on it. But if you eat pad thai with crushed peanuts on it, it is definitely better. Okay, well, I will definitely. amend it to say that peanuts make things better. But like you show me a brownie and you put like walnuts in it. I'm like, no, no. Why are you ruining the brownie with the goddamn walnuts? Oh, I was thinking of I was thinking of nuts more as like a topping than as a as an ingredient. Yeah, that's my uh, point. And don't put raisins in your potato salad. And don't experiment on Thanksgiving. <laughs> those are there those we are go. <laughs> uh, I don't have any. I don't have any such truisms. I just I strive to eat chocolate every day. That's all. Cin- Again, cinnamon makes anything better. I uh, the any dentist sweet. told it, it, like you can't put cinnamon on your. I guess actually you could put like like cinnamon on your like green beans or something. That'd probably be pretty good. I don't, you could put cinnamon on anything. <laughs> the the dentist told me I might have a cinnamon sensitivity. Ooh. Um, what does that mean? Like you can't eat like it? Uh, like if I eat cinnamon, it like has a bad effect on my gums. Um, so I actually try to avoid cinnamon. I might commit suicide if that happened. I love cinnamon. <laughs> that is that might really, be it for me. That's a really extreme take. I well, what? <laughs> I think the only thing that I truly that I truly unconditionally love is dark chocolate. Uh, everything else is totally negotiable for me. I, you know, I used to eat milk chocolate. Not that I won't eat milk chocolate, but the darker the better. Yeah. Well, well no, because if it's too, if it's just like if it's like ninety or eighty, ninety percent. Right. There's no sugar. Milk. Yeah. But it's like, all cacao. Yeah. But um, but yeah, milk chocolate is lame. Yeah. What's the point of it? it I like. No I go to Sprouts. Sprouts has Sprouts has all the you guys have Sprouts? Yeah. 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 So you, Sprouts has all these chocolate, you know, baskets, yeah, yeah, yeah. chocolate cover. Like there's the milk chocolate bin and the dark chocolate bin. I'm like, why why are you even there, milk chocolate? Why I, is, I want no yeah. part of you. Um Yeah, up here the up here the big thing is uh, the dark chocolate covered cranberries. You know, because I got the cranberries in, in New England. Guys, I haven't eaten yet, so Oh, I just had a burrito, like a really oh, big burrito. Yeah, I haven't eaten yet, so I need I need to It had a lot of guacamole in it. <laughs> I did have Taco Bell <laughs> last night. Uh as I, fourth. How late? How late? What time do you have Taco Bell? Uh like twelve thirty. So it was fourth meal. Yeah. I uh I screwed second, up. I didn't have second dinner. Second dinner. Oh, I didn't fourth, have dinner. yeah, fourth meal. Okay. My dinner my dinner was four beers at the game and two bags of Doritos. So uh yeah. Awesome. And then I ate some pizza. 